Well, I'm sure that, um, you know, I trust that you have been blessed already and that um, it does feel good to be together, to be able to worship. Um, you know, it's, um, it's an important thing to remember that even, even though we, um, we are worshiping with our masks on to be, to be safe, whatever you might feel uh, or think about that, we do that f- for others and to be safe ourselves. But, um, and you know, yes, it can be distracting, uh, but yet it is still good that we gather to worship. God hears our voices. He knows our hearts. And you know, church, what a great reminder that we have been created to worship. Am I right? We have been created to worship God, to bring Him glory, and to, of course, enjoy His goodness forever. But you know... Um, I think we could all share funny stories about what it's been like wearing masks, right? Annoying stories, funny stories, silly stories. And, and you know, yesterday uh, I was walking into the Home Depot and I had my mask and uh, I, I didn't want to put it on until I was walking in. It was so hot until there was people around. But I also had with me this this large cup of juice. It was a juice drink that, that I had gotten. It was a carrot ginger uh, juice, like you know, it's, it's good to be healthy, right? And, and try to, to drink some vegetables. And so, we were, I was almost done with this, so I wanted to throw it out at the garbage can there. And so I had my mask in the hand, and, and I had my keys, and then I I took the cup and went to put it into the garbage can. But of course, as I did it, and the cup tilted, a bunch of the orange drink, the orange, uh, the carrot juice, spilled all over the inside of my mask. And I was headed into the Home Depot. And so my first thought was, why, God? How did that happen? And so I had to put the mask on, of course, and I walked in. And so for the whole hour that I was there, I kept smelling carrot and ginger. And then for the rest of the day, even after washing, my beard smelled like carrot. So I kept smelling carrot and ginger, and it had all those stains in it. And, you know, it's a silly little uh, thing that happens, and maybe it's part of life for right now. But my first reaction was, God, why would this happen? How inconvenient, how annoying, right? And so we often ask God questions like that. But let me ask you this on a more serious note. You you know, we we often say, when I get to heaven, boy, I got a a whole bunch of questions for God. He's going to have to answer a lot of questions for me. But what if, church, what if Jesus was sitting right next to you right now in the flesh where you could talk to him and hear him audibly, what would be, let's think about it for a moment, what would be the one question you would ask him? What if he said, you got 30 seconds, one question, go. And he was right here right now. What would be that question? What would be that question that has maybe been pressing you for, for, for uh, many years? Or maybe there's one that just recently came up and you've been thinking, God, why? I mean, we ask God lots of questions, don't we? We ask Him those why questions. Why do these things happen? We ask Him the how. How, God, are you going to do this? We ask Him the what questions. God, what is next? What could you possibly be doing in this situation? But if God was sitting right next to you right now and you could ask him one question, not, not even waiting till you get to heaven, what would you ask him? What do you want the answer to? 
we know we've been going through a series in the Psalms. We simply call it the Summer in the Psalms. So for July and August, we'll be looking at the Psalms. And there are many different kinds of Psalms. There are psalms of praise and just simple, straightforward praise, psalms of ascent that were sung by those that were making their way up to Jerusalem, songs of simple thanksgiving. We enter his, his courts with praise and enter with thanksgiving, right? And there are psalms of lament, and that's the one that we're going to look at today, the type. We're going to look at Psalm 13. In just a minute, when I read it, it'll be up on the screen, but you can turn in your Bibles to it. Psalm 13. It's just six verses. And remember, psalms are poetry. There are poems that are put to music because this was the ancient Hebrew songbook. And most of these were put to music to use to sing. And we often use the words from psalms in our contemporary worship songs. But this is a poem. It's, it's basically um, in three parts. There's two verses for each. One and two, three and four, five and six. And they follow a familiar pattern because psalms of lament often, most often, follow this pattern where first the writer addresses God with the problem. So first it's the problem that the writer addresses to God. And then there is the petition. It's the coming before God saying, God, I need your help. Here's the problem. Right? So first it's the problem, then it's the petition. God, here's the problem, here's what I want you to do about it. See, there's the problem that he addresses. Then there is the petition, God, do this for me because of the problem. Then almost often those psalms of lament will end with a word of praise. Recognizing even though there's a problem and I have a real petition, I'm going to praise you anyway. And that is the, the flow of this psalm, Psalm 13. So we're going to look at what is the psalmist's problem. What is his particular petition? What is he asking of God? But then he actually praises. And so what is that praise and what does that mean to us? So if we could come before God and ask any question, what would it be? I think perhaps for many of us, if we were to think about it, we would probably ask the same question that King David asks in this psalm, because this is another psalm of David. And you'll hear it when I read it. But he asks this question four times in the first two verses. It's not necessarily the what's next, the what question. It's not the how, how are you going to something it is the when question and he asked this very simple question of God how long how long God have you ever asked that of God how long until you keep your promise to me how long until you provide that job that I need how long until you bring justice for the injustice in my life or the world that I see around me God how long. How long will it be? If you remember a few months back, we went through the book of Habakkuk and um, he asked similar questions and his questions was more like what? Like this is what you're going to do, God. But part of that was the asking of how long? Like how long are you going to allow my enemies 
to win over me? How long are you going to allow my enemies to pursue me and and to succeed in, in causing fear in my life? Lord, how long? I think that if I were to be honest with myself and God, if, if he was sitting right here next to me, I would ask him, how long? I would ask him, how long until you send Jesus back? Because I'm ready. I love my life. I, I love what he has given me, all of his goodness. But I think all of us as believers would want his return and to come quickly, right? Even in light of all that we see happening in our world. I mean, for 2,000 years, every generation of Christians has said, it cannot get any worse. Do you remember the society that the very first church the Christians lived under, the Roman occupation of the Holy Land with Nero as the leader? Could you imagine them thinking it could not get any worse? And here we are 2,000 years later, but off the topic, God gives us prophetic words in the Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. And we see how it's going to end and we can see the trends, not the signs, the trends of what's going on, preparing for Christ's return and for God to work out the end of the story as he has told us it's going to happen. But until then, what are we called to do? We are called to wait. Well, that doesn't sound fun, does it? We are called to wait. We actually live a life of waiting as believers. But the question then is, how do we wait? But of course, we can ask that that question of God, how long? God, I'm trying to wait faithfully. And I'm trying to wait patiently, and I'm trying to wait by, by spending my time worshiping you and honoring you by my words and deeds. But, but God, really what I want to know is how long? How long are you going to allow us to suffer? How long are you going to allow me to suffer? How long are you going to keep me in this point of, of grief and sorrow and turmoil? Because that is truly what the word lament means. I mean, it's probably not a word that we use often, right? I mean, maybe you're looking kind of down and, and, and your friend or your spouse comes over and says, what's wrong? And you just say, I am lamenting. We don't say it often, but we might say, I'm feeling sad or angry or a deep sorrow and grief. That's what the word lament means. You, you know, there's a whole book of the Old Testament called Lamentations. That's where it comes from. Written, we believe, by the prophet Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. The book of Lamentations was written by Jeremiah as he lamented over the people of Israel being brought into bondage and captivity by the big bad Babylonians. Because he saw what he thought was an injustice, but he knew, of course, that it was all because of the sin and disobedience of God's chosen people, the people of Israel. And so God said, this is how I'm going to work in your life. You'll be taken into captivity to Babylon for 70 years. But Jeremiah looked at that, and he didn't just say, yeah, sounds about right, get what they deserve, you know, we get what we deserve. What did he do? He lamented over it. So lamenting is feel it's it's a sense of yes it's part of emotional and feeling but it is a sense of sorrow it's a sense of deep seated grief it, it, it's it, it can express itself because we might feel helpless or hopeless or because of a sense of loss you know Jesus lamented 
I think of two instances. Remember when his really good friend Lazarus died? And he came back, of course, as God, he knew that he was going to bring him back to life. But in his humanity, he lamented. And he lamented the loss, not only for his sisters, his friends, but for him. Did you ever lament and feel a deep sadness for a loss, for losing somebody, especially if it's sudden and unexpected? But Jesus also lamented over the holy city of Jerusalem. Do you remember before the, the last week of his life, he, he came into Jerusalem and he approached Jerusalem and it said that he wept. He wept over Jerusalem. Why? Because he said if only they knew the peace, right? If only they knew the peace that, that I want to bring them and they were just denying it and putting it off, rejecting it. He lamented that. It was not just, wow, I feel sorry for them. See, lament goes further than that, church. It, it kind of, it comes from within is a deep sorrow and grief because of many different things. It definitely involves our emotions. Let me ask you, have you ever truly lamented? Have you ever lamented where you felt sorry and, 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 a, and a sorrow that comes from deep within? Do you know that we can also lament biblically over sin? It is good and right to lament over sin. When, when there is a sin that, that you commit against your God, that you then realize how wrong that was, that you said yes to temptation, and then what happens? As a believer, we lament that. We feel great sorrow. God, I'm sorry I let you down. Um, so we know what it's like in, in, in human relations, in personal relations, when we make a promise and we break it, and we let somebody down. What happens? We feel that great sorrow. We lament. Well, that's what can happen when we sin and recognize it. We can lament over sin. But let me bring this up as well. We also often don't think of this. But do you know that God laments? I mean, we think of it as something we do because we sin or because there's an injustice in our life or um, there is uh, something that is causing us great despair and it keeps going on and on and we ask this question how long but god laments god laments because of sin of course not his own sin he is perfect because of our sin if you remember in um in uh, genesis in genesis it says um genesis 6 6 it says, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Did you ever read that? You remember what happened during that time? It was the flood. It was Noah. Now, it sounds weird, right, that God would lament and be like, I'm so sorry that I even made these people, these wretched sinners, and I'm going to start fresh except with Noah and his family. But what does it mean? It means God had a deep sorrow in his heart because the people that he loved so much, his, his, the pinnacle of his creation, were being so sinful and disobedient that God lamented. It says God was grieved in his heart. God laments over our sin. We don't often think of it that way, but he does. Lament is looking to God for relief. 
when suffering and grief seems endless. I want to read this psalm for you now. It's just these six verses. This is Psalm 13, written by King David. I'll read it, and then I'll give you a little bit of background. Then we're just going to look briefly uh, in our last uh, you know, t- uh, minutes together. We're going to look at um, David's problem, his petition, and then the praise he ends with. Okay, We'll keep it real simple today. Here's what it says in Psalm 13. It's titled, To the Choir Master... A Psalm of David. So he wrote this, wrote some music, gave it to the choir master and said, we're going to use this as part of worship because it is good to lament and bring our, our grief and our sorrow to God. And as I mentioned the last few weeks, church, if one thing we can learn from the Psalms, it's this. Every range of emotion is expressed. And it tells us and teaches us that we can come to God. Listen, we can come to God in any circumstance with any emotion. You're angry with God? Come to Him. You're joyful? Go to Him. You're questioning how long God? Go to Him. Because nothing will face Him and He knows your heart. We learn that from the Psalms. Here's what it says. This is King David. How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted you. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Wow. In just six verses... What a transition from how long to, God, you've been so generous. Do you feel those range of emotions when you come before God? Maybe even in just one prayer, you sit down before God and it starts with crying out and then you end with tears of joy and laughter. This is what is happening with David. So let's remember this, that that King David experienced all those reigns of emotions. He wrote most of the Psalms, about 70 or so. There's 150 Psalms. He wrote about 70 or so of them. And, and King David, wow, what an interesting life he had. But you know what was going on during this time that he wrote this? Do you remember that story we read? I think it's in 1 Samuel that we read about David and Saul. Do you remember how King Saul pursued and chased David, and David and his men had to run from Saul? Because Saul, why? It was really jealousy and pride. But see, Saul didn't want to give up being king. He liked all the perks of being king. He was threatened by young David. Because remember, what it says is, oh, they were singing, Saul defeated thousand, and David defeated his ten thousands, right? And he was like, I don't like the sound of that. And so Saul pursued David, wanted to kill him. But here's what we might not realize. Do you know how long David was running from Psalm, from, from Saul? About eight years. About eight years. It wasn't just a few days or a week. 
And, and, and then they had a conflict or reconciled? No, what was it? About eight years. It was four years on the run and then another four years hiding from him even longer. He would hide out in caves with his men while King Saul was enjoying all the luxuries of being king. And so David, who knew that he was called by God to be king, he was running from Saul for eight years. Have you ever run from anything for eight years? Have you ever lamented something for eight years? Have you ever had something happening in your life where you were like, God, how long is this going to last? Boy, it's been going on for like two months, and this is really long, God. And eight years later... God, how long is this going to last? Maybe it's, maybe it's that, that relationship that you've been prayed, you've been praying for, for restoration in. Maybe it's, um, somebody in your life that has a chronic illness and you've been praying, God, can you just remove this illness? Have mercy because this person I love is, experiencing so much grief and pain and sorrow, would you be merciful and and remove that? Remove the source of the pain and suffering. And year after year, it seems like God is distant and not listening. You must be there, God, but, but how long? See, that's the situation David was in. He had been running and running and running from God, uh, from Saul, hiding in the caves, running from his enemies. And he writes this psalm. And he says, how long? How long? Are you going to forget me forever? Like, is this it? Is this the nature of our relationship now, God? I'm just going to keep running from my enemy, Saul, and you're just not going to do anything about it? I thought that I had an agree- I thought we had an agreement that you were calling me to do something, and this is what it's going to look like. How long? How long are you going to forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? I love the poetry there. You remember, church, the Psalms, are it's poetry that's put to song. And, you know, if you want to improve your prayer life, read through the Psalms. They run the gamut of, of all the, the emotions and all the things that we can come before God with. If you're feeling dry and stale in your prayer life with God, read the Psalms. And then you'll find yourself starting to say things to God like, God, how long must I take counsel in my soul or have sorrow in my heart all day long? Read through the Psalms, even the Psalms of lament. Do you know that over a third of the Psalms, more than 50, are Psalms of lament? We don't often think of that. We kind of think, oh, Psalms, yeah, uh, praises to God. And we praise God with the harp and the lyre and the, and, the, and the cymbals. And those are great Psalms of thanksgiving and praise. And there's a ton of those. But more than a third of that book, of those 150, are Psalms of lament. That means something. It should mean something to us. And so he says, how long? And then finally, at the end of verse 2, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You know, there are psalms, there are, uh, psalms of lament that are individual, psalms of lament like this one. But there's also some, and this is important to know, there's also some that are psalms of 
lament that are corporate, where, where they are written by someone who says, as a, a, a body of believers and God followers, we need to lament and feel sorry for and express grief corporately because we have sinned corporately. Or corporately, we are experiencing a great loss or sorrow. See, God has designed us, church, to live in community with one another. We're not designed to live this Christian life just on our own as solo believers, see? We're supposed to do it together. So there are many psalms of lament that are corporate psalms of lament, where it's just, we have cried out to you, God, how long? Or we are sorrowful for a sin we have committed, a sin of commission or a sin of omission because we have failed to do something that you have called us to do we have read your word and missed it and we are sorry this one is a individual song of lament by king david because he was being pursued by his enemy saul for eight years living in the caves no relief psalm 6 verse 3 says the same thing My soul is in deep anguish, or my soul is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? How about that? My soul is greatly troubled, but you? Where are you? How long until you address this issue that's going on in my life? How long, O Lord? Jesus lamented. Jeremiah lamented and wrote a whole book. We can lament over sin. 2 Corinthians 7 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. See? We know that God laments over sin. Because God laments over injustice. When we commit a sin, it is injustice towards our God. You know that? We think about injustices in the world and in our life But when we sin, when we are disobedient to God, it is an injustice to Him, the one who is perfectly just. And in a way, this psalm, it's like a psalm of protest. It's a psalm of protest to God. God, I am protesting the fact that you are not doing anything about this issue in my life. I mean, we can protest in many ways. We can protest silently. Did you ever um, get an argument with a loved one and your form of protest is the cold shoulder? Did you ever do that? Sometimes that's the worst, right? Because, you know, you know that you offended somebody and then I don't want to talk about it. Giving you the cold shoulder. That's the worst because you can't even say anything. You, you want to say you're sorry, you want to work it out. No, give the cold shoulder. Maybe we feel like God is giving us the cold shoulder sometime. Maybe we do that for God. But see, in a way, what David is doing, he is protesting God seemingly being absent from his life. Because David feels a great injustice has been done to him. God, you have told me, God, I know that you want me to be king. I see what you've been doing in my life. As a young man, you have called me. And this is your plan. For eight years, I'm going to run from my enemies. How is this beneficial to me, God? How is the working out of injustice in my life beneficial to me? Well, see, the first two verses are him just calling out and saying, here is 
the problem. You're taking too long. But then in the, the next two verses is the petition. Here's what I want you to do about it. And in verses 3 and 4, he says, consider and answer me. How about that? Do you ever talk to God that way? God, I want you to think long and hard about what you're doing. <laughs> consider it and then give me an answer. Right? I mean, we might say that as parents to our children. I want you to really think about what you've done and then come back and say you're sorry. Well, God is our Heavenly Father, but we kind of do that to Him, don't we? As His children. God, you're our Father, but I think, I think you're missing the mark on this one. I want you to really think about what you're doing, and then please give me that answer. You have to close a business today. Right? We do that. So He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. And then I love the, the poetry here. Listen to this. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's feeling like he's on the brink of losing it all. Like this is it. I'm going to keep running. It's been eight years. I guess it's going to be forever. He said at the beginning, how long, God, are you going to hide your face from me forever? How long is this going to go on? How long are we going to have this virus interrupting our daily lives? How long are we going to see civil unrest in our country and around the world? How long are we going to see injustice in my life and injustice to you, God, because people have turned their faces from you? How long? Remember in Habakkuk, what he was crying out for? He was saying, God, bring your judgment to your people. How long are you going to let them get away with it? Do you ever feel like that? In your own life, and as you see the events unfolding around us, day after day, how long are you going to put up with this, God? We know that you're righteous. Would you just do the right thing here? Would you just squash those that are causing injustice against me and the things I love? Would you put them right? Would you turn their face from evil towards good? He says, light up my eyes. What would that look like? You remember what our theme is this year at Trinity? A clear vision of hope for 2020. Well, we really need hope, don't we? And a clear vision of it so nothing gets in the way. So King David says, light up my eyes. It's almost like, you know when you're falling asleep and, and you can't keep them open anymore? That happens to me when I'm driving. I hate that. I just have this thing, I get behind the wheel and all of a sudden I get so comfortable and tired it's really hard. And it really annoys Claudia, my wife, because then she says, well, let me drive. No, no, I got it, I got it, I'm good. But then she'll drive, and as soon as I get in the passenger seat, I'm wide awake. And that's the worst, right? Then it annoys her, see? But the point is, is like, you know you, that, that point when you're feeling so tired you can't even keep your eyes open? David is like, would you just um, lift up, light up my eyes, he says. I'm seeing darkness all around me. Why would he want to light up his eyes? Because as they're closing and as he's feeling this enemies close around him like there is no hope, it's all hopeless and helpless, he's saying, I am entering into darker and darker territory, God. Would you please bring some light, shed some light on the situation so I can see that you're there and that you're going to do something about it? You ever feel like that? God, light up my eyes so I can see you and see what you're doing around me. Because we can let despair and sorrow 
let the darkness come around us. Well, church, one of the beautiful things about having this personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ is that we can come to God with these kind of problems. And we can say, God, we are sorrowful and, and, and I feel I am lamenting over this thing in my life and, and in the world around me. But you know what that does? It helps to release it. It helps to release it from keeping it all in. David is showing us here it's okay to bring your problems to God. It's okay to bring your petitions to God. God, here's the problem, and here is what I want you to do about it. He says, consider and answer me. I want you to light up my eyes. Help me to see some light around me. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And he says, because if I don't, I'm going to sleep the sleep of death. He says, God, this is it. I'm at the end of my rope. Eight years, I can't do this anymore. Do you ever feel like that? He says, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He says, my enemies are going to think that they have won, that they have conquered me and you. They're going to think that you're nothing, God, because they're able to overcome me. And then he ends. He ends with the praise. You know, we'll look at the praise now and, and, and close up, but, you know, The scriptures teach us so often about people that went through very difficult times in order for God to work out his will in their life and in the world around them. We think of people like Joseph. Remember what Joseph says towards the end of Genesis, the end of his story? I mean, look at what it took for Joseph to get to be where he was in Egypt, like the second in command or whatever, right? When he was so powerful and when his family, Jacob and the family, came into Egypt because of the famine, he was able to bless them, and that started that whole process, right? And what did Joseph say famously? He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Boy, what you meant for evil against me, God meant for good. It took many years to get to that point where Joseph could not only realize that and say it, but for all those events to happen. How about Paul? You know, Paul on the road to Damascus was saved. Remember that? His, his eyes were shut. He was blinded, but then he was opened. His eyes were opened so he could see. And he knew he was called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles now. But it took years. It took years. We don't realize that. It took years for him to actually go out and do his first missionary journey. Years to learn. Years to learn now. He didn't just get called and say, okay, now you're all set. God was training and preparing him. Training and preparing him. I mean, we see that in the life of Moses. Moses lived to be um, 120 years old. And his life is broken down into three um, seasons of 40 years each. The first 40 years, growing up in, in Pharaoh's house, right, in the palace, learning, being trained as an engineer, a planner, a builder. The next 40 years, he spends in the desert, tending sheep. Do you ever feel like that? Boy, God, I have all this education and training, and here I am just working at this menial job. For 40 years, he was in the desert. And then at the age of 80, God says, now we're ready. I want you to go and tell Pharaoh, set my, let my people go. Boy, thinking about the last 40 years of his life, 
from 80 to 120. You might sit here and think, now I'm done, I'm retired, I'm done. God often calls people in their older age. I think Abraham was like almost 90 when God called him. Some of you, some of our older uh, saints here are getting a little nervous. You mean God's going to call me to a new ministry to do something new when I'm turning 80 or 90? Absolutely he could. He doesn't respect age that way. Because he wants to use you as long as he has given you life and breath. But you know what? If you think about people like Moses and Joseph, we think of Paul and so many others. You know what it was like? It was like God saying, I'm going to take this lump of coal and turn it into a diamond. We don't know where we get diamonds from, right? It starts out as like a lump of coal. But do you know how it eventually gets to be a beautiful diamond, something of beauty and great value? What three things does it take? Pressure, heat, and time. I think God works the same way with us. He might look at you like a a lump of coal. You might feel like a lump of coal sometimes. (laughs) Like worthless and just like really good for not much of anything. I want to be that diamond. But see, God doesn't just say, okay, you're a lump of coal, now you're a diamond, now you're, you're mature in the faith. That takes time, church. It takes not only time. We say, yeah, I know that. It's going to take time. i got to read my Bible and pray and, and come to church. And it'll take time and then I'll become a mature saint of God. It also takes these other two things that we don't like to talk about and we like to avoid at all costs. It takes not only time to become mature in our faith, leading to become that diamond that he knows we can become. It takes pressure and heat. You see, King David was feeling all three of those things in the desert, running from Saul. Boy, God, how long? It's taken a long time, eight years. I'm feeling the pressure. I'm feeling the pressure of my enemy enclosing around me. It's getting hotter. I feel the heat, the intensity of what's going on in my life. You see, it takes pressure and heat and time for a lump of coal to become a beautiful diamond that lump of coal no light can shine through it but the beauty one of the beauties of a diamond is the light can go right through it it can reflect the light don't we want to be that but it takes time what does it say in romans it says god works together the good right for all those who trust him for all those who trust him i'm paraphrasing but isn't that the sense of it that That God works together for good. He's working all these things out. You might be running King David for eight years, but God hasn't abandoned you. He is behind the scenes working it all out. See, we might think in terms of days and weeks. God works in terms more of years and decades and a lifetime. But see, we don't like to hear that, right? Especially in the way that we live in our society, we want everything quickly, right? Everything. Just think of how fast your internet speed is at home. Remember what it was like with dial-up? When you would hear that, some of the younger people are like, what's dial-up? Right? I mean, we could never go back to that. Could we wait for that? But I remember when that first came out, we're like, wow, check this out. In about five minutes, I'm going to be on the internet. And now we can't wait five seconds. See, but God doesn't respect time like that. God thinks more in times of years and decades and ages and lifetimes. But do you see, that is 
the lump of coal becoming a beautiful diamond that light can shine through. Something that seemingly has no value or beauty becoming something of immense and great value and beauty. That is what God wants from us in our walk with him in our life, walking with him every day. But it's going to take time. It's going to take pressure. It's going to take heat, all these things that David was experiencing. But you know what? Along the way, and here's, here's, the, here's what he's telling us today. Along the way, bring it all to him. Say, God, how long? You can cry out to him. You don't have to suffer quietly. God, I am lamenting over this sin that is keeping me down. How long until you can provide a way out? Give me the strength. I'm lamenting and have such great sorrow and grief over this injustice being done to me. How long are you going to stand by and let my enemies win over me? Well, he ends, as many of these laments do, with the with words of praise, verses 5 and 6. After stating the problem to God and telling him the petition, consider and do something, he says, but, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In other versions it says he has been so generous. David in six verses went from how long, God, to God, you're so generous and good. But see, as a believer, that should really be our goal. That it's all good that we can bring our petitions to God and our problems and cry out with psalms of lament for whatever is going on. But then sort of at the end of the day, and it might take time to get there, we still say, but God, yet I'm still going to praise you. I end with these wonderful words from Habakkuk, if you remember when we went through it. This is the, some of the last uh, words of the prophet Habakkuk. After everything had been going on, listen to what he says. It's a great way to summarize. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk is saying the same thing David winds up realizing. Habakkuk saying, you know what, God, I, I can try and try and try, and year after year, season after season, I might plant and want to see that corn, want to see that wheat grow, but it fails. Year after year, I, I want there to be more cattle and sheep, but they're, they're not producing, there's not even any there, they've all died. I'm trying to grow these grapes to have some, some wine, these olives to have some oil, and, and they're all just dying. But what does Habakkuk say? He says, all these things can be happening. This could be the circumstance in my life. But you know what, God? I'm still going to praise you because you are the God of my salvation. Is it easy? Absolutely not. But what David teaches us today is that we can come to God. And we can say, God, how long? How long until you bring that healing that I'm desperate for? How long am I going to have to suffer and grieve? How long is my heart going to be broken and ache until you bring some restoration? And then we can bring the problem and the petition. God, here's what I want you to do about it. 
be specific with them. Say, God, this is what I would like to see happen. And yes, I want it now. Can you consider these things and do it? But at the end of the day, it comes back to one word, trust. Do we trust him or don't we? There might be areas of our lives where we do trust him more than others. In some, we trust better at times than others. It's an ongoing, everyday journey with our Lord to learn to trust him more. Because when we trust him, church, we're just giving up control. That's the hardest thing to do because of our pride, isn't it? To give up control. To give up control to him and say, God, I might think I know what's best and I have the best timing plan laid out, but God, I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to praise you. David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. Your steadfast love, which means what? He says, God, you loved me in the past. I saw you provide. Listen, I saw you provide in the past. You're the same God. You're going to do it again. You're the God that brought my ancestors out of Egypt and worked that miracle in the Red Sea. And then Moses and Miriam, and they sang this great song. You're the same God. You're going to do it. You did it in my life. You did it for them. You're going to do it again. Until then, it's going to be a rocky road, God. But at the end of the day, I'm coming back to you. No matter what's going on in my life, I will praise you. See, true joy doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from what the Lord Jesus has done for us. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, today could be that day for you. What's holding you back? See, the Scripture teaches us very clearly what must we do to be saved, have our sin before God forgiven, our position of sin before Him, it is to believe. To believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. When you believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation, for the salvation from your personal sins, Jesus as your personal Savior, you're saying, I believe that Jesus is who He says He is. He did what He said He was going to do. And He did it for me. And because of that, I trust Him with my eternity. If we can trust Him with eternity, can we not trust in His timing? We can call out, how long, God? How long? But at the end of the day, let's bring our praise and worship back to Him. Let's stand, church, and end with a song, Praise to Him.